well, you're, you're, you're Christian nationalist. Well, call it, you, you, I'm fine with you calling it whatever it is, but we want a nation that does reflect the order that God has established at creation. So yeah. you know, if, if that's Christian nationalism, then, then so be it. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Wonderful. Yeah, great. Nick, we're having an actual cold front here. I put socks on today. Yeah, it was a, it was a warm jacket <laughs> weather this morning when we woke up. I, so it's like 30 degrees below zero for you, Matt? Yeah, I was shaking my head here. Yes, yes. What does that mean? Like an 80? Dip to 80 down there? I think it was 48 degrees. I didn't go for a run this morning because I didn't bring any of my Arctic uh, gear down. To like baklavas and um, sort of... Balaclava is what you mean. Balaclava also... is a Greek... That's exactly what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing says winter running in Hilton had like a good (laughs) breakfast of baklava. (laughs) Is it really balakava? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was. I thought it was just a funny double use of a word. Like you know, someone once said, "Oh, that thing on your head looks like my grandmother's baklava." It's no sillier than toboggan. You hear people call it a toboggan? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, but those are at least related. Gonna... You wear a toboggan whilst you toboggan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> toboggan gear. Baklava. Maybe we got to get a sponsorship. I'm, a, I'm, leg- I'm legitimately, I've legitimately changed my mind now. On that. It's like when I realized that it was larynx and not larynx. Like people, <laughs> people let me, my wife, my lovely, loving wife included, for years, say Larnix. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, a Dr. Seuss character. Yeah, that's right. And then you let me say Grievous. Remember you? And then mm-hmm. the remembrance never, of them is I've Grievous never let you unto say us. Anything. You let me say that, and then you finally said after years of of <laughs> loyal <perjury>, my intelligence. <laughs> I done. I read it good. Anyway, thanks for nothing, Nick. Well. <laughs> Goodness, some some jollity at the top of the pod this week. But on a more serious note, it's election season, you guys. I don't know if you've seen the signs popping up in your neighborhood. I'm getting texts from candidates. The chilling specter of Christian nationalism is on the ballot this year. Uh, support the wrong candidates and America will turn into a post-apocalyptic hellscape in which women are torn away from their families and imprisoned for having abortions as one actual political ad has claimed. In fact, some would say that it's your Christian duty to support the candidates who don't support Christian nationalism. But isn't appealing to someone's Christianity to influence how they vote a kind of Christian nationalism? What is Christian nationalism anyway? Do Christians have an obligation to seek the political good of their country? And is that Christian nationalism or is that something different? So, What's a Christian to do at the ballot box? I mean, it's, uh, the, the question of Christian nationalism, that's a great question. Who knows what it is? It just depends on who's, um, who's talking at the time, who's, who's writing at the time. And the, on, on the, the people who think the Christian nationalism is a horrible thing, I, I would say you know, 50% of them just mean 
political conservatives, like Christians who are political conservatives. And if you if you would like the church, if you would like the well, uh, socially conservative, really, <clears throat> right, I mean, right, I think yeah, it's not you, really. If you think political. abortion should be illegal, if you think there should be no gay marriage, if you think you just you would yeah, like yeah. a government that that's basically like is crime and punishment, God's law, right, and, and rather than against it, then then that's a, a Christian nationalist, and um, and and then the the way it's described, of course, you know, Christian nationalism is just one way of saying fascism. So it's 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 one step away from the imposition of a totalitarian state and we're you know we're getting into red red robes and the white hoods out for the maidens or what are the maidens what are they called handmaids handmaids right <laughs> that's that's kind of what's being stoked up on the left and even the evangelical left but i mean that's a, a, a good question about what, what is what exactly is christian nationalism and what does i think it's a great question what does what what responsibilities do Christians have who live in a democracy or I guess a republic is like ours? Right. Um, and I would say that the the thing about a republic is is that uh, we in a republic are the rulers. We're the ones that God has appointed um, to rule. And so all the things that the ruler is obligated to do, and in Romans thirteen, you know, kind of falls on each one of our shoulders. So we we're obligated to exercise our vote in such a way the good. The good things are um, are rewarded, and evil is punished. So, as my, myself as a Christian uh, citizen, exercising my authority as a as a co ruler with however many more million co citizens there are, um, I think I have no other choice but to to exercise that vote in a way that's going to going to limit uh, or put put an end, abolish abortion. Uh, and enforce uh, um, the 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 rule of law with regard to you know, murder and those sorts of things, um, and also uh, uphold uphold the the creation mandate, uh, the creation institution of marriage. I mean, I, I just I I so I mean if, if if that if that's what Christian nationalism is, I suppose I suppose I am one, but I'm not I, I I'm not sure I understand it. Even even when. I, there's some there's a group on the right who now who are saying you know Christian nationalism rah rah which is fine I just don't know what they're meaning I've read I've read some of what they're saying and and I I, I kind of agree with it but I I, I mean I, I've read so the more the more um, sophisticated conversation I guess I've I, I've I've listened to comes from um, some Anglicans who who go back to our heritage our, the articles and, and and discuss how the reformers and especially the English reformers were very keen on on establishing England as a Christian nation uh, and a Christian people and so Anglicanism has a heritage of of seeking that kind of uh, transformation in a in a place, um, and so again, if that's what if that's what's meant by Christian nationalism, then okay, I guess I'm a Christian nationalist, but I, I'm still uh, not sure exactly what people mean. I think there's different definitions out there. Well, and it's not right. just that there's a different de- de- definitions. I think that there's actually a trick being played with the language where we define Christian nationalism as a scary thing and the phrase sounds scary like you said red um, robes and white hoods but then when we ask people about their political views we say things like do you believe that the government should be organized along basically biblical principles like well yes i mean murder is wrong so but then then christian nationalism gets redefined to include that's like wait i wasn't going to vote for 
red robes and white hoods, but I am going to vote against the legalization of murder. And I was listening to an interview a while back by Neil Shenvey. I think he was being interviewed by Elisa Childers. And he made the, the, the distinction, which I found helpful, between something that is immoral and something that is illegal. That's right. That's a classic distinction. Uh, okay. so not everything that's sinful is illegal. Right. Like um, we, 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 Not everything illegal is sinful. We well, think that selfishness is immoral, but we wouldn't want to live right. in a government that outlawed selfishness and, and arrested the selfish. And in the same way, we want to organize the government along Christian principles, i.e. we want to vote our conscience, but we wouldn't want to imprison people of other faiths that's right that's right i mean i think um you know it's we're, we're getting to a point now where the, the question i want to ask is you know if it's not christian nationalism then what what nationalism is it you know is it yeah. is it pagan nationalism is it um explicitly atheist nationalism because the question what what we're what we're living through i, I was talking about this reckless form and something we're we have the 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 joy of living through, um, you know, the unraveling of the sort of Chris, uh, Christendom consensus, you know, because there was a there was a, a liberal classical liberal idea that that I think you could place at the founding of our country that, you know, even a deist or even sort of a um, an agnostic, nevertheless, there was a could 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 operate within the system that had some agreed upon um, appeals to, you know, it's variously called, it's called various things, but we can call it natural law. You know, there was a, there was a general understanding of creator. There was a general understanding of, you know, the way that men and women should be comported and down the line. And as that um, conviction, which could never have held the line, began to, to be attacked. And then, and then we get to live and see it's not just being attacked, but outright rejected. Well, then the question, this myth of neutrality, as they called it, where we thought that we could somehow um, establish these basic neutral principles of kind of um, um, ontology, for lack of a better word, epistemology. Like we would at least agree, you know, you, you call it God, I'll call it karma, you'll call it the universe, whatever, but we'll agree on these fundamental principles. Well, that's been proven to, uh, that that was a myth that didn't actually happen. And so now what's happening is things that we would have taken for granted, like thou shalt not murder as a given, you know, cross cultures or whatever. Well, particularly with the case of abortion, you know, you find, you see more and more of the case. It's like, well, even if it is a baby, you know, it's my, um, my life, my inconvenience uh, or lack thereof over the life of this child. You call it what you want, Christian, you know, I'll call it medical reproductive freedom. And it goes down the line. I and mean, we saw this with marriage, you know, this is where the great, I think Robert George wrote the book, about a uh, natural law defense of marriage. And he was trying to, uh, you know, he's the Princeton uh, professor. He and a guy named, um, I forget who he wrote it with. Um, I'm sure they're listening, so I apologize. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, they wrote this big, they wrote this long book about natural, in, in the um, lead up to a Burgerfell or, or the aftermath of, um, called natural uh, marriage, natural law defense. And was the attempt was to argue uh, without explicitly referencing the Bible or any Christian arguments, why it was simply just a, a the common good and a civilizational um, imperative that we continue to uphold something called marriage as uniquely between a man and a woman for all sorts of reasons. And I remember reading that book and I said, you know, this makes a lot of sense and what a great argument. And I'm sure this will find some traction. And then, you know, all of a sudden we wake up five years later and we have, um, you know, for whatever reason, a drag queen um, person as a crossing guard, as a librarian, as a, um, you know, and you have not just a, a rejection of a natural law argument, but a, um, a flaunting and, and a mockery of it. And, and I, so I don't, 
you know, when I hear people lamenting or sort of uh, decrying quote unquote Christian nationalism, particularly quote unquote Christians, I mean, I, I, I have very little time for it to say, well, you know, obviously you, we can all have a straw man that we put up and there's some egregious examples where we can, like y'all point out all the time on your uh, podcast, uh, Matt, you're any of the, the NAE people and some of the sort of kind of easily dismissible uh, people. But for the most part, there are Christian people who are looking particularly at this upcoming election. And especially now after you heard Biden uh, yeah. just said this morning that like, I am explicitly going to codify a row if I have Number power. one priority. And so you say, well, you call it what you want, but I'm not, I would never vote for that ever. And, and if, and if I did, I would, I would live with shame and infamy and regret the rest of my life. If, if I was participating in the codification of Roe versus Wade. So I think this it's, it's, so obviously an attempt to shame and to cower people, to cow people into um, silence and to um, sort of fear of, of saying what they actually believe that it's, it's um, well, it's just an obvious move. And I think we have to be, we have to be bold and courageous to reject it. Now, I know we've pointed it out before, but the claim is made from both sides, right? That we had this b- billboard campaign in California several weeks ago, proclaiming California as an abortion <laughs> refuge state or whatever they called it and they put bible verses about loving your neighbor on the billboards so the implicit no, they claim put, they put jesus's words yeah. about the greatest commandment love, love your neighbor, your neighbor right so like. the implicit statement there is if you are a christian you vote for this out of your christian principles that's christian nationalism i'm reliably told so right. we either vote for Biden because we're a Christian or his, you know, his ilk, as they say, or against it. Either way, we're participating in trying to nationalize what we believe. Right. There's no way around that. Megan Bashan pointed this out too, and uh, she tweeted about how the the phrase "love your neighbor" has been has been utilized by the left to, yeah. uh, to as a slogan for just about every public policy uh, position yeah. they take. So that, and, and leftist evangelicals have taken up on it, the, the woke evangelicals have taken take them up on that. So that if you don't approve leftist immigration policies or leftist uh, redistribution policies or leftists, uh, whatever policies, then you're not loving your neighbor. That's, that's, right. that's, that's exactly the, that's exactly the move. But we so, can't because we don't want to engage in Christian nationalism. Right. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, I was saying it just goes back. It gets to the heart of, heart of this this ridiculous fallacy that you hear repeated so often that somehow we're not supposed to quote unquote legislate morality. You know, you've heard this and like, oh, I'm not trying to legislate. It's like, well, then what are you doing? Because if you don't have a law that isn't based in a, a some idea of good, good and bad, then it shouldn't be a law. You know, right or wrong. Like when I legislate, you know, for instance, even things that seem helpful, you know, like uh, seatbelt laws, you know, those aren't just to help the person in the car. That's to keep costs, healthcare costs down, or, you know, hospital beds not full, like all and, and, and all down the line. So when I say, you know, you have to do something with the force of law, I'm de facto legislating morality. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Now, it may be a morality that you disagree with, that I disagree with, that chafes at me, that all these things. But that when we get to these fundamental questions um, that are, you know, to um, to, to use Al Mohler's word, the worldview questions, you know, <laughs> they are, that's what has to be also pushed back on, that there's, there's this sort of a theological, a moral, um, sort of neutral public square. And, you know, Richard Newhouse is famous for, for you know, in first things, for, for beginning to push back, at least in my 
uh, life that that was the first time I sort of realizing and, and thinking about this more deeply way back in college was this idea that if you if you begin to seed the ground from the public square as a Christian with your Christian convictions, well, then you're just allowing someone else with their their convictions about the world and their understanding of God or lack thereof to to legislate their morality over you. And so, and we see this so clearly, you know, we see this so clearly that people who um, have decidedly non-Christian values and, and as it were, uh, morals are more than happy to be okay with me as long as, as I'm letting them legislate to in that in whatever direction they want to go. But there's a moment that the Christian pushes back in the exact same way, just at a different um, I mean, the exact same means, but in a different direction, you know, namely from my convictions against theirs, well, then I'm labeled a Christian nationalist and subjected to scorn and derision from all of the uh, blue checks and the um, and the other, uh, you know, Christian intelligentsia that wishes they could get invited more to the New York Times and to the Federalists than they can or whatever it is uh, to the Atlantic than they than they already are. It's funny, it's nice to be related, but I think it relates back to what you were saying toward the beginning of the podcast, uh, JD. Um, About the baklava? Not that. <laughs> <laughs> not that. Uh, no, but in, uh, in Carl Truman's Rise and Triumph, The Modern Self, um, he talks about how the, our society, even people who don't, who are not scientists, don't understand the science, quote unquote, uh, largely accept intuitively the, uh, the theory of Darwinism and about human origins. And so because that's the case, what ha what's happened is, whereas before that in the West, you could make an argument for life, even on religious grounds and, and have a hearing. But, but what Darwinism has done is, is persuade the average person that, that life, existence, everything else can be explained without the need the need to appeal to a divine maker, a divine, a divine creator. So what that's done is it's necessarily relegated all, all Christian arguments over off into this other, other category right, right. of that's just your religion. That's just, you, you, you can't legislate your religion. Whereas we're believing that's right. the societies with this kind of neutral Darwinistic fact, the science, and that's, unreligious has no worldview implications at all it's just the way things are that's right if you want to believe something about that like insert your god somewhere and that fine but don't try to push him um onto us and and that's that's how that that's how this whole narrative has gone now, of course if you think that darwinism is itself an exertion uh, or an assertion of a religious view which i do yes um then then you have a then you have then you can begin to see through that argument but if you but if you kind of go along without thinking deeply about about the assumptions, the presuppositions that our society is largely accepted, then you're not going to see why, you know, anytime you mention your faith, be it Christianity or any other faith, really, um, you're you're kind of dismissed as okay. Well, now you've got now you've gone off into something that we can't even think about in the public square because we're now we're all people of of, of science and um, yeah, that's right. And the so, evidence the evidence that it actually is a faith proposition is that when quote unquote the science disagrees with what you believe like the overwhelming scientific consensus that human life begins at conception you just ignore it and go on believing whatever you want yeah or the well I mean, we could talk about the, the holes in evolutionary theory for the rest of our lives but i mean but you're, you're exactly right matt i mean when you when the supernatural claims uh, were relegated to the sort of mythological status. Uh, and we can thank the 
you know, the German higher critical school for that, among other things, you know, we can, um, then, then all that was left was um, the supposedly neutral scientific world. But, you know, C.S. Lewis skewered this, uh, I think it was in his essay on learning during wartime. Um, I forget which one, but at any rate, where he says, you know, the, the real battle is not between faith and reason, because a reasonable person can say, well, you know, things don't seem to miraculously get more complex and more, um, uh, you know, over time, you know, no matter how much time you have. Something that is so beautiful and complicated would would argue for a creator and on down the line, right? So there's a, there's a reasonable person can have a sense of faith it begins to set them on a journey to question, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? But he says the fight is not between uh, faith and reason, but rather faith and reason over against emotion and imagination, because we have this emotional reaction to the world. And then we have fits and flights of imagination. And that's actually the, the ungrounded, non-reasonable um, sort of irreligious person or, ir or, or particularly non-Christian person over against people who, you know, with, with great, you know, sobriety and fear um, consider these great questions of life that send them in search of, you know, the good, the true and the beautiful. And so we have this situation now where as I think, I mean, I love that Carl Truman book too. Um, you know, he lays it out so great, but we have an entire, you know, multiple generations of people that have been convinced, uh, or at least have been told uh, repeatedly that, you know, nothing came from nothing, time plus chance, you know, human life is is simply valuable, quote unquote, if it's, if it's not, if it's pleasurable instead of painful and on down the line. And so it's unsurprising that not only do we have this sort of outright embrace of abortion, uh, which is, you know, rightly called the sacrament of modernity, but then you have this evolution or devolution and erosion of any conception of sort of fundamental human rights, you know, basic um, sort of declarations of law uh, that protect people, you know, irrespective of their supposed status or worth, you know, and then on down the line. And I'm, I'm actually worried. I mean, I, I would, I don't think it's, I'm alone in this, but you know, it, it, I'm praying for a revival because, because given the conditions as they are now, um, our very understanding of the rule of law, of the, of the concepts of inalienable rights. Like if you have no, absolutely reject any argument to the divine or to the, um, to the supernatural or to the eternal even, well, then what are you grounding your pre-political rights in? I mean, it, it certainly isn't in the animal kingdom, you know, you can go out there and sort of have a, um, have a truce with the, with the lion you know it's like what was that movie where the guy went out to live with the animals and got eaten by the bear you know it's like grizzly man yeah was that what it's called yeah is that the one with uh with eddie Vedder did the soundtrack i don't know it's a Werner herzog film the guy's <laughs> named T timothy treadwell and he loved the grizzly bears and went to live with them and then got eaten by one of them well this is I where this is where, you know, again, Carl well, Rusty Reno wrote about it recently, the rise of the strong God, return of the strong gods, you know, because people are going to see, hopefully not for very long and hopefully not as graphically, but, you know, what the world looks like when the Judeo-Christian so impulse has been removed from, from society. You know, we have, we have first responders who feel a sense of call and duty to lay down their lives for the sake of others uh, that's formed over centuries of valorizing policemen and firefighters and doctors and things. You know, this was not just, doesn't happen overnight, you know, that, that people who are in a culture that has been um, hewn out of the mass of humanity to actually value and, and, and reward these types of behaviors, you know, if we lose 
the foundation for for our Christian nationalism um, in this way, well, then we're going to be the worse off. I mean, I, I think about all the people that risk their lives um, because it has been, you know, generations of of honor and and valor and and self sacrifice, and and I'm grateful for that. And I think we're we're at this pivot point. I mean, maybe not at the yearly, but in this this season, where the um, rejection of that and the outright mockery of some of these things is um, is really uh, disconcerting, to put it at the least. Yeah, it, it seems like it seems like that's at one end of the teeter totter, and the other end is. Stacey Abrams yeah, like, in, the, in the news today saying that the reason we have so much inflation is that not enough people are killing their babies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see the one that said, you know, there's a diaper shortage? Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm like, I mean, you can't even make these things because up. you need to kill more babies. That's why. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that's obviously kill your babies. First... You have more diapers, right? That's right. That's obviously the first. Um... It's well, amazing. it's all it's all Malthusian, though, isn't it? Right. I mean, remember, yeah. do y'all yeah. watch that in high school, didn't you? When the which is the totally debunked and not even remotely scientific flight of, of insanity that Malthus brought to the world. And they showed the little dots, you know, why don't you six... spend 30 seconds and just say what that is? Well, I forget his first name. Was it Jacob Malthus? Uh, he was a, a, a priest, Anglican priest. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I think in the late, uh, what, 19th century? Just before this, the Industrial Revolution. Right. He had this projection that that the um, increase in birth rate was going to uh, overwhelm the world's ca- uh, capacity for food production. And so we needed to uh, institute uh, dramatic uh, population control measures, which actually seeded, as EEDED, the eugenics movement which i mean i have the margaret sanger books you know that were written in the turn of the century where she was making this explicitly she was writing there's like an underground pamphlet to help women at the time get uh, abortions through like drinking you know nasty stuff or whatever but at any rate um taking into account taking nothing into account as for the technological advances the incredible breadth and and um and size of the earth. I mean, there are, there are enormous, unfathomably large swaths of land that are just either lying dormant or not nearly being uh, farmed or produced to the extent that they could. And we can produce, I mean, it's rightly said that there's there are famines in the world, that the fact that there are people dying of hunger in our world is simply a political problem. It has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the capacity for us to, to create food or, or even to distribute it. It's, As it turns out, more people has resulted in more food, increased right. production. That's exactly right. And yet we live under this, this, you know, it's, it's, a it's, it's itching ears. You know what Paul is telling Timothy in this, in these last days that we just read, I don't know if y'all's lectionary or, or, or Matt only does, you just do like one verse a week from Leviticus. <laughs> Half a verse. What are you talking about? <laughs> one, like, I just, one, <laughs> one syllable. That's right. He's, he's been, I've been preaching through Leviticus for how long? How old am I? Forty-eight years. <laughs> We're at chapter seven. But no, that's but that is the um, you know, that's that's the 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 pessimistic um again, back to emotion and imagination. You know, this is the imaginative speculation, which then fuels this emotional dread, which which just denies the actual science, which requires the ground, which which sees faith as a reasonable option. I mean, again, this is um, but but you know, going back to Christian nationalism, we see that the fundamental um, shape of a Christian worldview will necessarily um, work its way out into certain political convictions that will come up against uh, the co- political convictions of people who don't share Christian 
convictions. I mean, that's just, I mean, that seems so straightforward that it's unbelievable that we have to argue about it. That if your convictions say, um, you know, I mean, just broad brush 10 commandments, stealing is wrong. Adultery should be, you know, maybe not criminalized. Although up until yesterday, many states did have laws against adultery, you know, did have like, it was, you know, that was probably a fairly good motivator and and on down the line. So I, I don't know. I don't know what we do other than just hear it, mock it, reject it, and keep moving forward. <laughs> I mean, when, when we're- Well, it does be- seem that in a, in, a, in a society like ours, where, the, where there's not no longer an agreed upon Judeo-Christian bedrock, right? Not that everyone was a, a Jew or a Christian but <laughs> in the past, but there was a bedrock of agreed upon morality. You know, it does seem that, that our system is- well, it's it's unworkable. I mean, if if you have if you have this this level of disagreement about basic right and wrong, our the whole idea of of a democracy or a republic uh, seems to be unworkable at that point because you you always have you always have one you're going to have one side on top of the other, and the others and if you have a population split down the middle, it's just a recipe for chaos and maybe even disintegration. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is why I mean, like guys like R. McIntyre. I'm not sure if you. If you guys listen to him, but um, but he, you know, he thinks well, you, this is but the whole the whole the whole project of the Enlightenment and then uh, the, and then liberal uh, democracy, liberal not meaning like like political right, but just the whole idea of liberalism uh, was flawed because it because it didn't take into account human uh, human nature. It, it 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 predicated a system based on shared values, but it didn't necessarily take into account that human human beings are 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 inherent inherently wicked um and so, and so uh and a nation run for the people and by the people you know if it's the people leading the people you're going to have ultimately some really bad things take place uh that's what that's what his argument is so we're seeing that come to the fore now since we've since we've jettisoned the judeo-christian value we're, right. we're, we're now having chaos and and disintegration um i'm not well, sure you... how much i agree with that but that's that's it, I, I i can it resonates well, you see, you, I mean, it certainly does resonate, and you see the the beginnings, or at least some indications that that I mean, hopefully, it's not ultimately right, but at least in the short term, with the um, sort of now the demonization of the Supreme Court and the outright lawless uh, rejection or flaunting of any prohibitions on abortion. And why I say that is that you know conservatives for the past fifty years have worked within the system you know, have lobbied, have started at the local town council, have gotten state legislators and, you know, saw in the Supreme Court this sort of end of a 50-year um, democratic process, which had more losses along the way than, uh, or seemingly more losses, certainly from on high along the way. But over time, uh, it's it looked to be a vindication of the, the representative democratic process that we signed up for. And then immediately upon that happening, all of a sudden, the Supreme Court, which had been the the great bulwark for sort of progressive um, change in the country, or not bulwark, the great uh, um, uh, implement or, or tool, uh, was almost overnight invalidated. You know, I mean, Supreme Court justices who once were revered, um, you know, for that position, at, at the de facto now were mocked and jeered and and dismissed out of hand. Um, and that was as concerning as anything, because, you know, we 
50 years ago, uh, the, the culture was such that the conservatives, as horrified as they were by this Roe versus Wade decision, didn't you know storm the Capitol, didn't begin to petition and um, picket j- judges' houses, began to, now I'm sure there was exceptions, but in general, worked within the system. Um, and we thought we just saw the system work. And yet it may have just simply revealed that the system was only going to be tolerated as long as it was going one direction. Because if it starts going even more back um, towards a uh, sort of a constitutionalism, you know, like the like an originalist understanding of some of the states, uh, the, 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 the the distinction between federalism and, and, and the various states and, and the federal government and whatever, and down the line, um, we're going to see more violence or, or we're going to see more rejection of it. We're going to see more just outright contempt for what we would call the rule of law. And that's as disappointing as, as, as um, concerning as any of this to me, because, you know, it begins to bring into question the, the nature of authority, you know, the, the legitimacy of elections, you know, will people actually cede their, their, uh, you know, we've already seen all this. Will people actually say that they legitimately lost or will we have magnanimous people actually stand down in the sake of the country and, and on down the line. And well, it's all of these are questions that I, that I can't imagine. I don't think anyone ever thought that they would be thinking. Um, but except maybe your friend, Oren, you know, whoever, <laughs> maybe, maybe some of the dystopian writers from the seventies, mm-hmm. but, uh, Thomas Mann may have read, seen this coming in Leviathan. He may have actually, uh, uh, predicted it, but but here we are, and, and at the heart of it all is this attempt to silence people of conviction who are basing their fundamental the the shape of their fundamental conception of the world around the revealed word of God, i.e., Christians. There's a full court press against uh, those people being allowed to speak freely in the public sphere square, and it's being um, labeled "quote unquote" Christian white Christian nationalism, even, and so um, we just have to reject it. So, Matt, you said earlier on in the show that Christians or not citizens are the Romans 13 rulers of a nation like ours in this um, representative democratic republic. And then we have Aaron McIntyre admitting rightly that humans are sinners and so wicked w- wicked people and so a c- c- government you know by the people of the people for the people is going to be shot through and through with sinful wickedness so when a christian does actually walk into the ballot box what are we thinking what 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 hope do we have what what are we working toward what what hope is there well, I mean, of course, uh, we we're all monarchists at the end of the day, aren't we? We're, right. we're, we're imperialist monarchists. We patriarchists. Have, we, have, we're, have, we believe in father, <laughs> father rule. Our father, who are right, exactly. Mm-hmm. We serve an empire with an emperor who sits at the right hand of the father, and he's going to come back and establish his rule one day. So, of course, there's always hope. And I think it's just in the in the uh, in, in not only just not only hope like, gee, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, but uh, a right. sure and certain hope uh, that we're that in the end. That's right. He's, gonna, he's just he's mad. He's sitting. He's, he's sitting there until the footstool is continued, is finished. So, <laughs> but at the same time, we do have to live here now. He will be seated. He will be seated until the enemies are made. His he's footstool, waiting until so. everything gets to be quite horrible, and he's going to come back and, and save us all because we can't do it. Um, but the uh, anyway the. Um, uh, yeah, so so I what well, we have is we do have whether whether the system is fatally flawed, whether it's going to all crash and burn tomorrow, 
um, whether there's 2,000 years more to wait until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom or whether that's going to happen this afternoon, that we, we have to work with what we have in front of us. And what we have in front of us is a, is a system in which we are given the vote. And, and so even if you think the whole system's flawed, I think uh, unless, unless voting for either candidate would be a moral evil, you know, which I wish I can perceive being the case in some places and sometimes. Then we, we go in, we do the we go into the ballot box and we we vote for that person we think most likely to represent the creation order uh, or to enact the order that God is, that God established when He created us, and to be to vote and work consistently with laws of, of nature. And I think that's is getting increasingly get more difficult because even the even the conservative side of the of our political spectrum is is beginning to crack in some ways but it's not impossible so so we go in we do the best we can to be good rulers and and we we let we let uh, we trust that Jesus in his good time will come and rescue us because because i think the church will be increasingly embattled and that the kingdoms of the earth are going to rise up and and try to destroy uh, the kingdom of of Christ, but the, at the end, Jesus is going to come back and, and save us. So, sorry, so you, you can see we can talk eschatology at some point. We should we should, we should have a show on why he's wrong about. <laughs> but you could. You can, you I'm going to bring see, someone in with me. You, you could then see a Christian of good conviction running for a school board and trying to influence the schools or we're running for local office and trying to sure. influence their community, not sort of throwing up our hands and saying, you know, well, everything's sinful. So there's no hope here. And we have to wait until the Lord returns. We can, we can, even if it's called Christian nationalism, we can try to influence the nation and the smaller structures in which we well, live. And this is happening, defeat, right? But this is happening all over the world. It's just not happening in the West. I mean, this is what this is what we have to appreciate is that, you know, there are missionaries on the um, missionary bishops, even in all corners of the world in non-Western countries that are expecting the pagans to drop their idols and for their lives to be transformed. And then by extension, their towns, families, uh, towns, cities, and nations to become better, to become, to, you know, places that have no conception of, or no fear of God. And therefore, you know, the rulers just rule um, like tyrants, um, you know, like the old Testament, they're going to take your wives and take your sons and take your money. You know, that's what the rulers, that's what the Kings are going to do guys. You sure you want this? And yes, we do. And so there it's happening everywhere except for the West. And so what could be, we sadly for some of us who are Christians here, you know, the remnant um, could certainly be watching the decline of the West and, it, and the Lord has not, um, over history, I mean, nations have fallen, uh, risen and fallen, you know, people, peoples who once existed don't. And so, you know, the American experiment is just that. And we are the longest running um, democracy in the history, recorded human history, at least. And we might be, we might see the end of that. Our grandchildren might, but that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God will not still be advancing. It just means that it will have to be repopulated by, by people who find the new world. I mean, this like, you know, canonical for Leibowitz type stuff. If you read, if you read that book, but, and so I, you know, I I don't know what I'm going to do if, if, if I lived in a country that had no opposition to the codification of Roe versus Wade, if there was every governor, if I, if every governor was celebrating this, if, if, if up and down the, the line, there was a, 
a um, sort of a moral move to embrace this, I would consider leaving. I mean, I would immigrate to I'd be like, well, that's that's not no longer. I mean, that's and so, you know, if we go that direction, well, then we will reap its reward. There will be, you know, one generation left because everyone else will be have been killed. And then uh, it'll be repopulated by people moving in from either the north or south or east or west. And who cares in that respect? But but I'm you know, we're here. And we still have hope and we have not yet had the, the walls fully destroyed. And there are people of good faith that are pushing back. And there still are people of Christian goodwill that are prayerful and, and fasting and imploring the Lord to, to send revival, to, to stop this, um, you know, seemingly inexorable uh, slide towards, uh, what is it? The slouching towards Gomorrah, you know, what's that book by uh, Susan Sontag, I think at any rate, it's the seeming, inexorable march towards godless hedonism um, and sort of neo-paganism. And we're going to do what we can, you know, responsibly to push back against that in every form we can, politically, socially, relationally, um, you know, ecclesiologically, like all up and down the row. And we'll make some mistakes. We'll overstate things. um, We'll be you know, not as gentle and humble at times as we should, but by God's grace, we will be beholden to his word and and doing, acting reverently in fear of him primarily, which um, will will ultimately, is is ultimately the, the final call for the Christian uh, this side of heaven. Which brings us back full circle, because I mean, you, I think what you're trying to say, and I agree with you completely, is you know, we, we may be fighting a losing battle. This might be a, the waging the long defeat, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's that may be what, what was happening, but we still have to fight it. It's still in front of us. And that's, that's why right. we shouldn't that's why we shouldn't listen to voices who are trying to say things like, well, uh, if you if you try to enact uh, your understanding of of of, of life into our laws you're just grabbing for power right that's right that's right you should you should you should you should not the christians should not be seeking political power say those christians on the left who are seeking political power (laughs) so so don't listen to that kind of narrative and don't listen to the the all you people who want less than 10 minutes return time for your you know police when you call 911 you know you just you're just white nationalists or something you're like what are you talking about (laughs) i mean any 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 attempt to establish a a, a nation of law and, and order and justice for all is going to necessarily mean the use of the judicial use of power so we the christian can't go around saying we don't want we don't want power yes we do want power but we that's want right. to, we want to use it for the good not for the evil that's right. um secondly that, that that's where the christian nationalism narrative comes in well you're you're, you're a christian nationalist well call it you you i'm fine with you calling it whatever it is but we want a nation that does reflect the order that god has established when he, at creation so yeah, yeah. If, if that's christian nationalism then then so be it. Yeah, I was. I actually was at the town council yesterday in Hilton Head, and I got to do the invocation. And uh, we have a prayer, you know, in our good old prayer book that um, is for towns and countries and nations. And so I just, you know, went there and, you know, I mean, I was in the, in the bring us all to fruition in that final kingdom, you know, in the name of, uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And. I didn't get one of those bolo, you know, like uh, net things shot at me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like in Jurassic so, Park. That's right. That's right. Because I was like, a, you know, basically a velociraptor unleashed. But, you know, I mean, this is where I hope if anyone listening, I mean, anyone listening to us, is, I hope is is going to be in agreement at this point, unless they're they're sort of hate listening, you know. But <laughs> but in terms of um, you know, the encouragement is that they're that, or, or I would say that the the impetus lies in the fact that to the extent that we do have rulers who are 
fear God um, and uh, seek his wisdom, then it's it's going to be what the theologians will call general equity and common grace for everyone. You know, like we actually do have uh, tolerance for other religious groups. Like we don't have, um, you know, the death penalty for, um, you know, random acts of violence and, you know, like tyrants do in third world countries. Like we don't, we like the Christian understanding of the rule of law is actually for the good of God and neighbor. I mean, that's what we believe. And so, you know, that it's been abused at times is, of course, is going to happen. And it has happened in Christian and non-Christian. But we we pray that for the, the magistrates, given the weighty responsibility of adjudicating uh, this side of heaven in the place of God, are getting their guidance and their wisdom from something other than themselves, and certainly something other than Rousseau or Darwin or one of these other philosophers. And, and that's why I'll continue to unabashedly vote for uh, Christian candidates, and particularly ones who have exhibited a long track record of, of humility and fear and reverence uh, for God. All right. Well, that's going to be all the time we have this week. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, be in touch. You can rate, interview the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord Willing. We'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 o